Hey everyone, welcome to the Voice for Israel podcast for May 9th, 2020. Visit us at voiceforisrael.com. You may subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other fine podcasting services. I'm your host, Peter Reitzis in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Our guest today is Susan B. Tuckman, who is director of the Zionist Organization of America's Center for Law and Justice. The Zionist Organization of America, which we'll refer to today as ZOA, is the oldest pro-Israel organization in the United States. Susan Tuckman was chosen by the forward as one of the 50 most influential members of the Jewish community based on her legal work on behalf of Jewish students. Welcome to the Voice for Israel podcast, Ms. Tuckman. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. And thank you so much for what you do every day for the Jewish community. Thank you. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss with you a second complaint that your organization, the Zionist Organization of America, ZOA, recently filed with the U.S. Department of Education, alleging that Duke University is in violation of the resolution agreement Duke signed and submitted to the Office of Civil Rights related to anti-Semitism on Duke's campus. But first, let's take a short step back and talk about how we got here. In April of 2019, ZOA filed its initial complaint with the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights against the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and Duke University. This complaint alleged that UNC and Duke co-sponsored a one-sided anti-Israel conference in March of 2019 titled Conflict Over Gaza. The Conflict Over Gaza conference included an offensive anti-Semitic performance by a rapper. So tell us, Susan, what did ZOA's initial 2019 complaint say and ask of the Office for Civil Rights? We filed this complaint with the Office for Civil Rights in April of 2019. And essentially what we did was describe what took place at this conference about Gaza. And we raised two major problems with the conference. The first thing to know is that Duke and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill co-sponsored this conference in part using federal taxpayer dollars that they received from the United States Department of Education. This, This funding came from a Department of Education grant that was authorized by a federal law called Title VI of the Higher Education Act. And when universities get a what's called a Title VI grant, they have to use the grant money for specific purposes. Uh, they have to use the grant to train students in foreign languages and in international affairs. Um, and the goal for this grant money is to educate students in a way that advances the national security interests of the United States. Um, in order to to uh, meet this objective, uh, grant money uh, has to be used to reflect what's called diverse perspectives and a wide range of views. That's what the language of Title VI says. And this conference did nothing of the sort. It did not reflect uh, diverse perspectives. It did not reflect a wide range of, of viewpoints. It was one-sided and it was hostile to Israel. So the first 
issue that we raised, Peter, was to challenge the university's use of this Title VI money. We said that the universities misused these Title VI funds because they co-sponsored a conference that was one-sided and hostile to Israel. Not only that, the conference was outrightly anti-Semitic. Um, and that leads me to the second claim that the ZOA made in that April 2019 letter. That conference featured a rap singer. The conference w- when it was uh, conducted over a three-day period. And during one of the days of the conference, a rap singer performed at the conference. And, uh, and you could actually watch this, con- this performance uh, on YouTube. I don't know if it's still there. It's still there, and we're going to link to it in the podcast notes at voiceforisrael.com. Antisemitism, yeah, okay. This is my example. I know it sounds R&B stuff, but don't, don't, don't think of uh, Rihanna when you sing it. Think of, uh, not, don't think of Beyonce. Think of Mel Gibson. Oh, my God. Yeah, get, go that antisemitic. <laughs> Let's try it together, because I need your help. I cannot be at this semantic alone. Oh! I'm in love with the Jew. Oh! I'm in love with the Jew. Oh! I'm in love with the Jew. I'm in love with the Jew. You look beautifully at this Well, you know, I'm glad that it's still there because I would be very surprised if your audience didn't find it as horrifying and sickening as I did. This rapper announced to the audience, he said, and this is a quote, this is my anti-Semitic song. He encouraged the audience to sing along with him. And because he said, quote, I cannot be anti-Semitic alone. And he advised the audience, don't think of the singer Rihanna. Don't think of Beyonce when they sing along. He said, think of Mel Gibson. Why Mel Gibson? Many of, uh, of the members of your audience will remember that back in 2006, I believe, the actor Mel Gibson went off on some drunken anti-Semitic rant. So that was the individual that this rapper was encouraging the audience to emulate. And he, he enlisted the audience's help in singing this chorus, and it's a quote, oh, I'm in love with a Jew. And in this video that, that is on YouTube and was on YouTube, you can hear the audience singing and laughing uh, to the refrain, oh, I'm in love with a Jew. And it was horrifying, particularly since the audience was made up of students, I'm assuming, and university faculty and staff members and other so-called scholars I mean, this is supposed to be an academic conference, and instead, it was a a mocking and vicious attack on Jews. And we brought this performance to the attention of the Office for Civil Rights in our letter, and we claimed in the letter that the universities um, helped create and, in fact, tolerated a hostile anti-Semitic environment which we allege was in violation of another Title VI. This is another federal law. This is Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. And we made these two claims, and we urged the Office for Civil Rights to investigate the allegations that we made and to hold both universities, uh, UNC at Chapel Hill and Duke, accountable under the law. 
And I'm going to ask you in just a moment about how both of those universities assigned resolution agreements on this issue. But first, I want to mention that I attended this conflict over Gaza conference. I did not see the rap performance that you just described. I attended the so-called, so-called academic portion of the conference. And I'm tempted to say that portion was worse, what I saw, uh, which is saying something. So when we walked in to the beautiful lobby, there were photographs on large display glorifying terrorism. It was a slideshow glorifying terrorism against Israel. Speaker after speaker bashed Israel. Pro-Hamas and anti-Israel audience members were allowed to speak at length, but pro Pro-Israel audience members were cut off quickly by the moderators. I personally witnessed a Duke student try and speak to one of the presenters. And one of the presenters during a break refused to speak with that Duke student, but then spent hours speaking with anti-Israel activists. So you had a Jewish Duke student approach a presenter and the presenter, I've never seen anything like it. The presenter would not speak to the Jewish student, but then spoke for hours with anti-Israel activists. And it got so bad, this conference was so bad that the organizers declared halfway through that we had to stop recording it. I've never heard of such a thing. So I, the rap that you described was terrible, but it was such a one-sided anti-Israel conference from beginning to end. It was something else. Well, you know, that's that's exactly what we claimed in our letter to the Office for Civil Rights. And no conference on a university campus like Duke or University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill should be sponsoring something like this and actually labeling it as an academic conference. I, I'm not sure what's academic or scholarly about it, uh, particularly given what you've shared with me. But especially when we think that our federal taxpayer dollars were being used to fund this conference. It's just outrageous and unacceptable. And so many of the people speaking were involved in some way with the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel. So you had people talking about Israel, bashing Israel, who are boycotting Israel. So in response to ZOA's 2019 complaint, both UNC and Duke settled by signing resolution agreements with the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. Now, I'm going to ask you about Duke mainly because that's what that's our main focus today, but wh- what did Duke resolve to do, and is Duke adhering to the agreement they signed? Duke and UNC, as you pointed out, each signed a resolution agreement with the Office for Civil Rights. But even before that, in September of 2019, the Department of Education made a determination that, in fact, both universities had misused their federal funds, that, that, that they had misused the federal grant that they had received from the Department of Education. So both universities were ordered by the Department of Education to submit a schedule of their proposed activities, for, you know, what's coming up next as a condition of receiving future funding. So that happened back in, in September of 2019. And, and I should point out to you, Peter, that ZOA was not the only 
one, to raise a question about the way in which these federal funds were used. A congressman from North Carolina, George Holding, also brought this claim to the attention of the Department of Education. He also complained about the misuse of federal taxpayer money. And the Department of Education responded. In December of 2019, Duke University signed a resolution agreement with the Office for Civil Rights. And essentially, the agreement requires Duke to take four basic steps. The first step is that the university was required by the president or a designee of the president to issue a statement to the university community, essentially making it crystal clear that the university does not tolerate anti-Semitic harassment or discrimination. A statement had to go out to all university students, faculty, and staff, and encouraging any student who believes that he or she's been subjected to harassment uh, to report it to the university. So that was the first step that that Duke is required to take. The resolution agreement uh, orders uh, requires Duke to take a second step. It has to enforce its policies to respond to incidents of anti-Semitic harassment, and it also has to beef up its policies to make it make it clearer that anti-Semitic harassment will not be tolerated. So that was a policy requirement that was included in the resolution agreement. The third step that Duke was required to take was to schedule a meeting this academic year, meaning the academic year that just concluded, and next academic year, Duke has to host a meeting for the university community to give students, faculty, and staff the opportunity to discuss with the administration any concerns that they have about anti-Semitic harassment. And if there are complaints, the university is supposed to take appropriate steps to address those complaints. And the fourth and final requirement of the resolution agreement is that to the extent that the university offers training or orientation sessions to students, faculty, and staff, those training sessions um, have to include a component on harassment and discrimination, including anti-Semitic harassment. So it was essentially those four steps that the university was required to take under the resolution agreement. This is the Voice for Israel podcast. I'm your host, Peter Reitzis. Our guest today is Susan B. Tuckman, who is director of the Zionist Organization of America's Center for Law and Justice. So I, I do know that Duke did issue a statement on anti-Semitism. I, in my opinion, it was rather strong, short, and it began with, we want to be very clear anti-Semitism is one of the great scourges of modern life. Did they fulfill the rest of the resolution agreement? In our view, they did not. You're right that the university did comply with that very first requirement by issuing a statement, making it clear that anti-Semitic harassment would not be tolerated. And, and I thought the statement was 
was was perfectly adequate. Where the university has fallen short, um, well, in two respects. The first one has to do with the meeting that the university is supposed to host to give the university community the opportunity to raise concerns about incidents of anti-Semitic harassment. The university was supposed to host one this academic year, and to our knowledge, um, and to the knowledge of the students that we're working with, the university failed to host or even schedule that meeting in violation of the resolution agreement. The second violation that we contend occurred is that the university is supposed to respond to incidents of uh, harassment and discrimination consistent with Duke's policies. And we are claiming, and we have substantiated, that Duke is well aware that there are Jewish and pro-Israel students at Duke who are being harassed and threatened, and the university knows about these problems but has failed to address them, which is what they're required to do under the resolution agreement. So uh, I know that Duke students are very upset that there hasn't been an open meeting or forum to discuss the very issues that we're discussing now. I got to ask, what is going on at Duke that makes Jewish pro-Israel students feel afraid? And has the university responded to your concerns? I mean, can you provide us some examples of why Jewish pro-Israel students feel afraid on campus? Yeah, of course. And, and you know, I, let me make it clear that I have not been in, in uh, communication with the university. When I say I, I mean anyone at ZOA, working on behalf of ZOA. But what I, what I do know is that Jewish students who've been harassed been the target of vicious and disgusting name-calling, students who have felt that their physical safety is at risk, they did everything that they could do to get the university to address the problems. They followed the university protocol. They complained to university officials. They met with university officials. They supplied university officials with evidence of the problems. So just to be clear, the university is well aware of what has been going on. And and I'll share with you and your audience a little bit about what has been going on. There's been a problem of creating an environment for Jewish and pro-Israel students that is, in my view, it is hostile, it is abusive, it has made students feel that there are negative consequences to them if they speak up and uh, speak up in support of their Jewish identity, speak up in support of their Jewish connection to the land of Israel. There's a student at Duke who has been engaging in what I would say is an unrelenting pattern of harassment and intimidation of students who support the state of Israel, Jewish students who support the right of Jews to live in their homeland. This particular student at Duke um, has been posting on social media, name-calling students. She has been referring to a group at Duke called DIPAC. This is a, a group, uh, it's, it's a, the, the acronym is uh, 
Duke uh, Israel Public Affairs Committee. These are students who are simply working to support and strengthen the relationship between the United States and Israel. That's the goal of the group. But this particular student who has been harassing and threatening them has been referring to DIPAC as a hate group. She's called these students racists. She has cursed at them. She even has posted a photo of students students at Duke, and the students know who they are, um, and covered the students' faces with a clown face. She sort of superimposed a clown face on each of the Jewish students' faces um, and referred to them as as racist. Um, she readily admits that she is going, she's going to continue her bullying for as long as they speak up in support of Israel. And even worse, she has made very menacing and ominous threats that make students actually fear for their physical safety. In one of her tweets, she said, stay tuned for apartheid week next semester. And for those of uh, the members of your audience who don't know what apartheid week is, this is an annual event, not only at Duke, but on many campuses across the country. It's basically a hate fest against the state of Israel, and it is sponsored by a campus group called Students for Justice in Palestine. This is a group that it's an Israel bashing group, and their Israel apartheid weeks are basically unrelenting attacks on Israel with false accusations about Israel committing genocide, Israel being a racist apartheid state. And these are events that make students, Jewish students, feel very uncomfortable on campus. So this this student said, stay tuned for apartheid week next semester. Y'all haven't seen anything from me yet. Hmm. And that statement was made after this student had really had gone on, had uh, tweeted a barrage of tweets attacking students for being Zionists and for being supporters uh, of, of the state of Israel. So that was that was a a tweet that justifiably made many Jewish students feel worried about what this particular student could have up her sleeve next. Um, she also later said, tweeted right out there, I'm, I will continue to viciously attack y'all. And then she went on to say, to, to, make a, to make a threat that really was a threat of committing violence. Um, she posted a photo of a woman pointing a gun and the photo was a picture of her. I want to highlight uh, a tweet you had mentioned a few moments ago, where this student, this Duke student, posted on social media a picture of DIPAC, of the Duke Israel Public Affairs Cub Committee. So it's about 10 students proudly holding a banner of their committee, as student groups do. But superimposed over each student's face is a creepy clown face. And I've spoken to people who have seen it and have been shaken. When I saw it, I was shaken. Because, I mean, I imagine having your 18-year-old child at college with a clown face superimposed over them. It's pretty ominous. It's pretty um, 
ugly. And it does I, I can totally understand how some students would feel very unsafe. And I was really taken aback when I saw a tweet by this Duke student that bragged, straight up bragged about bullying pro-Israel students at Duke. And it's striking to me that after student conduct got involved, after this issue had brought been brought to the attention of Duke University, this student felt that it was totally acceptable to post on social media to brag about bullying pro-Israel students. Um, so what- you know. You know, Peter, I just wanted to make one comment in response to what you uh, said. You know, I'm not only a professional at ZOA um, fighting campus anti-Semitism. I'm a mother. And the notion that my children could be uh, living on their college campus, this is their home away from home, and they could be attacked like this and made to feel like they can't be who they are, that they can't be openly Jewish, that they can't be open supporters of the Jewish state of Israel. That's horrifying to me. And it should be horrifying to everyone. And, you know, I have to say that I spoke with students at Duke and what they reported about how this impacted them, it it was truly heartbreaking. And they made it clear to Duke officials how this conduct was affecting them. I mean, there were students who wrote point blank to to the a Duke to a Duke official, I don't feel safe on campus. I am not a racist clown and I am relying on Duke and you to protect my safety, which of course is Duke's legal obligation to do. Another Jewish student made it crystal clear in her message to, to the Duke administration, I am terrified to walk to class right now. I fear for my safety and the safety of Jewish students. I mean, what more did these kids have to tell the Duke administration? They needed help and they didn't get it. And I have met Jewish families. Um, I met a family, mother and father, at a brunch and they said to me, we didn't know, we didn't know this was happening at Duke. How could we ever send our children to Duke? I've heard from local residents who have said, how can I donate to Duke? And I want to share with you something that really struck me. Uh, last week, Voice for Israel, we we hosted our very first Zoom event and I'm going to brag now. It was it was it was very successful. It was an amazing event. I I did not organize this one, so it's really not immodest for me to brag about it because my colleagues on the board um, they 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 did a great job. And one of our guests was Max Sherman, who's a graduating Duke student. And Max shared this that Duke has recommended police escorts to a student or some students when going to class and has advised to watch your back. I mean, that takes your breath away. Like To think that a Jewish student might need a police escort at Duke University. Uh, have you heard this? And what? And you know, we'll insert the clip here. Uh, they've told members of DIPAC to quote unquote, watch their backs, or uh, recommended that members of DIPAC uh, get police escorts when going to class. 
Have you heard this and what do you make of it? I did hear it and I was pained and horrified to learn about that. And and it's something that we included in our in our letter to the Office for Civil Rights. Um, students reported to us that when they met with a Duke administrator, uh, the administrator advised them to watch your backs, watch out for each other, and warn them that this particular student that we're talking about might be dangerous and advise them to seek a police escort to walk them to class. Now, to me, that tells you everything you need to know that Duke completely understood uh, that this wasn't something innocent going on. There was a student who posed a genuine physical danger to Jewish students at Duke, that Duke was well aware of the problem and well aware of the gravity of the problem. And then the question is, well, what did Duke do about it? And so in March of 2020, and I know that we've, we've already started to discuss this, the Zionist Organization of America, ZOA, sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Education regarding Duke University. And the complaint alleges that Duke violated the resolution agreement the university signed and submitted to the Office of Civil Rights in December of 2019. And a big part of this second ZOA complaint revolves around this student that we've been discussing um, that has made some students on campus feel threatened. So can you tell us more about this complaint? I, I know that I've sort of jumped ahead a little bit and we've already started to to discuss it, but can, can you tell us about this com- complaint? Sure. I mean, the complaint was made to the Office for Civil Rights in March, and it essentially describes the fact that, in, in our view, Duke University has violated two aspects of that resolution agreement that it signed back in December. Um, it failed to host the meeting um, that it was required to host to give the university an opportunity to discuss incidents of anti-Semitic harassment. By the time that we wrote this letter, in, uh, sent this letter in mid-March, Uh, The university hadn't even scheduled a meeting, let alone held it. Um, And the second piece and much more detailed piece was the fact that the university knew that there were Jewish students who were being harassed and abused and actually physically threatened. um, And that in violation of the resolution agreement, the university did not remedy the problem. And we laid out in great detail what what students endured, the nature of the of these uh, tweets on social media, the threats that were made to students, and all of the efforts that Jewish students made to get the university to address the problem, and the university did not do so. The university assured each of the students that filed a complaint that there would be a thorough investigation of this particular student's conduct which is required by university policies. She assured Jewish students that there would be a disciplinary hearing so that the Jewish students would have an opportunity to be heard. Um, And that, that did not occur. So this student has also made some other tweets of concern. One of them, um, as a parent, it really hit me. She tweeted, I want someone to take me out or take me out, followed by three gun emojis. And when I see that, I think, oh no, this is someone who is possibly expressing 
that she might hurt herself. And so, you know, Duke has to be concerned about all students, the students who feel threatened, the student who um, is causing these students to feel threatened. Seeing that tweet that somebody might hurt them, I mean, we're not psychologists, we're not diagnosing anybody, but that's really troubling. It, it is so troubling, Peter, and and you, and you should know that if Duke had followed its own policies, there were a number of steps that it could have taken in response to this situation to address the entire situation, not only punishing the student, not only, and there were many, many different forms of punishment that um, that the university could have imposed. It, it could suspend the student, expel the student, issue a no contact order. Uh, but but even in addition, the university could have required this particular student to seek a mental health assessment and treatment to address the entire situation. And and I, it doesn't appear that that Duke did did any of that because the the harassment only continued. And we, I know that we both agree that we don't know what Duke has done, um, but we do know that the student has tweeted out, no action will be taken. And she greatly implied that Duke would not take action against her. Yes, the, the, the student did that, um, did that, you know, a few times. I mean, she, she, she made it clear um, in her tweets that that nothing was happening to her and it seemed to only embolden her she at one point tweeted for now i'm good since no action will be taken against me and that tweet that tweet came after the university letting jewish students know um, that they had taken the action deemed appropriate and i think that that's a quote and what was that action if the perpetrator herself is saying, no action will be taken against me. It seems pretty clear that no, no consequences were imposed by the university. And, and her, her, her harassment continued. It was almost as if she was emboldened by the university's failure to do anything or to do enough. This is the Voice for Israel podcast. Please visit us at voiceforisrael.com. Our guest today is Susan B. Tuckman, who is director of the Zionist Organization of America's Center for Law and Justice. Some people listening might wonder, um, because of COVID-19, is it understandable that Duke did not schedule a meeting this year so students could openly discuss in an open forum concerns about anti-Semitism and other issues? You know, I, I think that that's certainly something that needs to be taken into consideration. But I would also point out that if I were Duke, if I were, uh, if I had just signed a resolution agreement with the government in December, I would have made it a priority to at least schedule that meeting with the university community shortly after I signed that agreement. I mean, by the time that 
we sent our letter, it was mid-March, and the university had not so much as scheduled the meeting. I think that it's fair to say that if the university had been serious about addressing these problems, particularly when they knew about this student who was harassing and physically threatening Jewish students, that meeting would have been scheduled before this pandemic. When I take a step back and I think about what's going on here, I do ask myself, why is this all tolerated? And would Duke or any university allow this against any other group of people? So let's just say, and and no group of people, no group of students should feel threatened, should feel afraid. But what if it were LGBTQ students on campus? who were feeling targeted? What if it were Muslim students on campus feeling targeted? What if it were students who are actively pro-choice and pro-choice activists who were feeling threatened because they express their pro-choice beliefs? I I, I have to say, and I, I want to hear your comments, I have to say, I I can't imagine a university, a university tolerating this type of thing if it were happening to another group of students. Do you think that's a fair thing to say, or am I not seeing it right? No, I think it's entirely fair. And we we believe and we think there's evidence of an unacceptable double standard. We see that Jewish students, when Jewish students are targeted, universities don't respond in the way that we see that they have when other groups are targeted. Um, And we're not asking for uh, colleges and universities to give Jewish students preferential treatment. We're saying respond in the same way that you respond uh, when other minority groups are targeted. Uh, It's appropriate to respond when, as you said, African-American students are targeted. It's appropriate for the university to crack down when Muslim students are targeted or women or gays or any other group. We're saying you have to treat Jewish students the same way. Um, and, 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 you know, often we, when we make complaints about problems that Jewish students are facing, we get responses from university officials, you know, they cluck their tongues, they, they we know, we know this isn't good, but, you know, we, we, there's the First Amendment, there's free speech. And of course, ZOA supports the right to free speech. Um, I'm a lawyer. I know what the what the First Amendment requires, and I and I believe in that, and and I believe that universities should uphold the right to free speech. But I have seen examples where the university, uh, where universities have responded in situations where I think First Amendment rights were implicated, but yet the university cracked down. I'll give you one, um, and and many yeah, of your. Uh, listeners may remember this situation because I remember that it got a lot of attention in the news. This, and I'm blanking on the year, but it wasn't that long ago. There were uh, members of a fraternity that were, I guess some members had had a little bit too much to drink and they were on a bus and they were singing um, and they were using the N-word. Um, and saying other, you know, horribly racist things. And I believe as horrific as those songs were, they were probably protected by the First Amendment. But the president of the university immediately responded. 
um, he recognized that um, what these fraternity members were doing created a hostile environment, a hostile campus environment for other members of the community. And he punished students. I believe that there were students who were expelled. There were students who were punished. And the university shut down the entire fraternity, even though the entire fraternity had not been involved in singing these racist songs. So, I mean, there's one example of the university. No, I think that was, I'm sorry, I was going to, I think that was 2015 at the University of Oklahoma. Does that sound right? Yes. Yes, it was at the University of Oklahoma, okay. and 2015 sounds about right. And okay. I, I, I think as horrific and despicable as those songs were, they were. I don't believe the songs were targeting a, a specific student or individual. Nevertheless, the university responded and punished the perpetrators, and even went beyond the perpetrators and punished the entire fraternity. When Jewish students have difficulty on campus, many of us in Jewish community assume that the students can or would reach out to Jewish organizations on campus. They could reach out to Jewish-focused departments, to Jewish professors. Why are these important complaints coming from ZOA and not from Jewish-affiliated campus organizations? It's certainly not true on every campus. There are some campuses where Jewish students do have support on campus that they can go to Jewish-affiliated campus organizations if they need help or support. I don't mean to generalize. I will just tell you that from my experience, you know, I, I think as difficult as it is to be a Jewish and pro-Israel student on a college campus these days, it's also difficult for professors. And I think that there could be people who would like to stand up and help these Jewish students who are facing um, anti-Semitism and vicious anti-Israel sentiment, but they too are afraid to be targeted. They're afraid to antagonize the administration. They're afraid to antagonize their colleagues uh, or other groups. And I do think, and again, this is from my own experience, that many Jewish-affiliated campus organizations have, you know, what I would call sort of a shashdil mentality. It's, you know, a mentality of don't make a stink, don't say anything, put your heads down, don't respond, let's hope it goes away. And if only that were true, Peter. Um, in my experience, yeah. when students ignore the problems, they don't go away. It's, it, they, they get worse. They get worse. And it is hard to speak up. And I have to tell you, I have worked with some amazing students, including at Duke University, and they are inspiring to me because it is not easy to speak up. And it's, it's not easy to speak up when you don't have institutional support, when you don't have support from your own campus, and you have to go to... Uh, you get help from an outside organization. 
But if you don't speak up, you're making it easier for university officials to say that there are no problems when there are problems. And you're emboldening the people who are making the problems um, and sending them the message that you're, you're going to just accept it. And nobody should have to accept being afraid to be openly Jewish and openly supportive of the state of Israel on their college campus. We are, we don't believe in that Shashdil mentality at ZOA. We are respectful. We raise problems respectfully but forcefully uh, within the confines of the law. We use the law to protect Jewish students. And that is what we do. That's our mission. We are an educational organization, but we're also an advocacy organization. And if students don't get the help they need internally, we're here. We are going to help them. And thank you for that. And I'll just observe, and this thought just popped into my head. So students feel unsafe, and you have a Duke student saying things online that makes them feel unsafe. And you would think that one of this student's friends or peers would pop onto the conversation and say, hey, I agree with you politically, but we shouldn't make other people feel unsafe. You would think that somebody, because if one of my pro-Israel friends was acting in a way online that was wrong, I would say something. I would say you should not speak to that person like that. You should not post a picture of a gun. We shouldn't act in a way that makes anybody feel that they have to watch their back. I mean, it's it's shocking that that this person would make a tweet and get likes and loves as opposed to, hey, you should stop doing this. Well, you you would think that way, right? You would think that, you know, people are entitled to their political views and their personal views, but not at the expense of another person's well-being, not at the expense of another person's feeling of physical safety. And one would think that a fellow student or or, uh, somebody at Duke would say, hey, wait a minute, there there are ways to promote your views um, without abusing other people or making other people feel at physical risk. Agreed. Last question for you. So now that you've filed this second complaint with the Office for Civil Rights, what do you think will happen next or what do you expect will happen next? Do they send you a response letter? Do do you just have to wait and see? We've already received a response acknowledging the fact that the complaint has been received and the Office for Civil Rights is in the process of assessing the complaint. Your listeners should know that as a recipient of federal funding, Duke has a legal obligation under that Title VI that I talked about earlier. It's called Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Duke has a legal obligation to respond effectively to harassment that's based on Jewish ancestry or ethnicity, which is precisely what's going on at Duke now. And we believe that Duke is violating Title VI. We're hopeful that the Office for Civil Rights is going to investigate our allegations and hold Duke accountable. 
Susan B. Tuckman from the Zionist Organization of America. Thank you for your advocacy work, and I hope you'll come back on the Voice for Israel podcast when you have an update for us. I'd be happy to do that. Thank you so much for hosting me. 